What's going on? Welcome into the Sharp Angle Podcast. On today's show, NBA Friday. Let's do it. This is the Sharp Angle. Every day on your favorite podcast player. Special thanks to TopNotchOdds.com, one of the best online sports books available. Check him out on Twitter as well, at TopNotchOdds. It's really important to have multiple sports books in your arsenal so you can shop around and always find the lowest prices. We're always talking about finding 5, 10, 15 cents here or there. Do yourself a favor and just shop around. You're going to find that find that value just kind of inherently creating value by having multiple websites so check them out online topnotchodds.com put in promo code sharp edge that's going to get you up to a 200 deposit bonus you can use over and over and over again online topnotchodds.com promo code sharp edge all right on today's show going to talk about some uh, nba rookies nba rookie talk because obviously uh, conversations heating up for Rookie of the Year. Uh, we're going to examine a couple trades made last week at the end of the trade deadline. And also, I'm going to give you guys a couple picks for tonight. We are recording this about 12.30 Eastern on February 7th. So I'll give you guys a couple of my favorite picks for tonight's games. But let's start off with the rookies. Obviously, uh, Zion Williamson uh, making his return, or I should say debut this year in the NBA. He suffered that preseason injury and uh, just came back a couple weeks ago. So he's lighting the NBA on fire. And a lot of people are saying it's not too late for Zion to, uh, in fact, win the Rookie of the Year award. So let's take a look right now at the Rookie of the Year. Because obviously, if you've been paying attention to this the last couple of weeks, it's this is John Morant's trophy to lose. I mean, he's been playing so well this season in Memphis. 17.5 points per game, 7 assists, which is good for 12th overall amongst any point guard or, frankly, shooting guard, anyone passing the ball in the NBA. He's 12th. Uh, 3.4 rebounds a game as well. And Memphis is better than a lot of people thought this year because of John Morant. So right now... Uh, the odds for Rookie of the Year, John Morant is the favorite at minus 700. You have to pay $700 to win 100 back. In second place, or the second favorite right now, would be Zion Williamson at 5.5 to 1, plus 550. You bet 100 to win 550. So right now, obviously, John Morant, the clear favorite, I think he's probably got this locked up because he has been playing all season long. But it's funny because you hear around the NBA, around betting circles, it's not too late for Zion to make a push. What does Zion have to do if he's going to win the Rookie of the Year with such little time left? I'll give you a couple things. One is he's got to average a double-double. Right now, Zion Williamson, 20 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 2 assists. These numbers are good, but they're not great. They're not going to get Zion over the top to where I think plus 550 is even a valuable bet right now. So if you think Zion can average a double-double by the end of the season, which is really counting on getting those rebounds up, then that would be a... You're starting to get to a decent bet. But 2.5 more rebounds a game for Zion, this league is physical. And I do think that the points per game will stay there. If you think you can get 3 and a half or three more rebounds, two and a half more rebounds a game, we're starting to get somewhere. Okay, so so that's the first thing he has to do. Second is New Orleans has to climb in the rankings. They really have to start winning some games. And I know that winning isn't necessarily tied to rookie of the years in the NBA, but that's what they're going to have to do is show that these 
stats are turning into wins, that his team, excuse me, is that much better with him than without him. So it's a long path for Zion right now as the number two overall favorite at plus 550. Uh, John Morant, the favorite, as I said, minus 700. Let's look at the third overall favorite, Kendrick Nunn, 14 to 1. Now, I think right now, if you're looking at any kind of value right now, it'd probably be Kendrick Nunn because it's probably down to these three guys. And inherently, I mean, how do you give Nunn anything worse than 10 to 1 with three guys left? So he's uh, Kendrick Nunn's numbers this year, he's averaging 16 points per game, three rebounds, three and a half assists. So you're not going to get the gaudy numbers that John Morant's putting up. But look at Miami. Look how good they are this year. A lot of people think that with this Andre Iguodala trade, they kind of went over the top. Now we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. But I, I believe that Miami is that much better than Memphis or New Orleans to where you have to kind of give Kendrick Nunn a bit of a pass that he's not getting up on rebounds and assists. Still, 16 points per game is very, very good for a rookie in this league, especially playing on a great team like Miami, where, let's face it, Jimmy Butler's not going to give you a whole lot of shots, especially as a rookie. So those guys, I think, are the ones who stand out the most to me. 30-1, to Michael Porter Jr., uh, I mean, what is it? I forget what movie. Is it The Hangover or something like that? Hey, you take 100 to 1 odds on anything, you you take it. Or you get 100 to 1 odds on anything, you take it. I mean, 30 to 1 is pretty juicy for a guy like Michael Porter Jr., who is finding a way into the lineup and actually being a key piece for the Denver Nuggets. But the numbers just aren't there this year. Eight points per game, five rebounds, one assists. I mean, you look at the last 10 games, he's shooting 50% from three-point range. So he's a good player, contributing on a great team, but uh, I wanted to mention him because I am obviously right now in Denver and he has been doing great things this year, but probably not enough to get the rookie of the year. Alright, let's move on to the trades made this last week. The NBA trade deadline obviously wrapping up, and two main trades took all the headlines. Trade number one, D'Angelo Russell departing Golden State, heading to Minnesota for Andrew Wiggins and a couple draft uh, draft picks. So, uh, I believe that this means one thing. That This draft signifies one thing. This is Andrew Wiggins last stop in the NBA, or at least his last chance to really prove he can play. Cleveland passed on him. Minnesota passed on him. Now we'll see what he can do at Golden State. Now, this is really the perfect opportunity for Andrew Wiggins. He's going into a team decimated with injury, a lot of younger guys, and now that D'Angelo Russell's gone, a lot of shots to go around. So if there is one place for Andrew Wiggins to kind of show everyone, hey, he's not going anywhere, he's back, this is the spot. And I do believe this is a perform or bust year for Andrew Wiggins. Slight upgrade for Minnesota, sending D'Angelo Russell there, but this doesn't make that bad team this much or any better in my opinion. I still have them 24th overall in my power ratings. So neither team improving that much. I think Minnesota adding a little bit for next year, and this is certainly an, a, uh, an audition in sorts for Andrew Wiggins. They had two draft picks that uh, Minnesota sent to Golden State, 2021 first round pick and 2021 second round pick. All right, let's get on to the second trade that made a lot of headlines. Miami, Memphis, and Minnesota in a three-team trade. Minnesota making a lot of moves at the end of the trade deadline. Miami getting rid of Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters, and James Johnson. There were no picks in this entire trade. Memphis getting rid of Andre Wadala, Solomon Hill, and Jay Crowder. And Minnesota getting rid of Gorgie Diang. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. I hope so. Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters will end up on Memphis. Andre Guadalla, Solomon Hill, Jay Crowder, and Gorgie Dang will end up on Miami. And James Johnson will end up on Minnesota. So you look all three teams, how they did it here. I think uh, Miami... 
Look, expect Miami to be stronger as we get closer to the playoffs. I don't think this does anything positive for the Miami Heat the next couple weeks. Miami just got older. Look, I think Andre Iguodala is honestly more of a locker room move. I think that some of those guys were button heads. I don't believe Jimmy Butler's the easiest guy in the world to play with, but they are a good team who's winning right now, so they have to do certain things to guarantee they're going to be at their peak for playoff time. And peak doesn't necessarily mean on the on, on the floor. It means what's going on in the locker room, too. I think everyone sees very clear what's happening in Philadelphia. That's not all just because guys are missing shots. It's a lot of locker room issues as well. So I do think Miami improved in the locker room, which is uh, very underrated. And Miami did get rid of some good young pieces, which is not a very good thing for the future. But honestly, it's hard to question the great Pat Riley. I do like Solomon Hill, Jay Crowder, who Miami did pick up. So Miami overall positive, but probably not immediately. Uh, Memphis, I think Memphis signifies one thing. They are clearly building for the future. They got some great young pieces. I mean, Justice Winslow is going to be good. A solid power forward for what this league is looking for the next couple years. I mean, his shooting could improve, but overall, Memphis got younger and they got better in the future. And for Minnesota... Dang for James Johnson. I mean, yeah, yeah, not too good. Not too impressive, if you ask me. Uh, all right. So that, I mean, look, in terms of those two trades, neither team really, there weren't any blockbusters at the end of the trade deadline. There weren't any teams who are now favorites. I know a lot of people want to say, oh, Miami, that trade put them over the top. I don't believe that at all. I think Miami's just a little bit better, but they're still not going to compete with Milwaukee. Even Philadelphia, Boston in the playoffs. So that's what I think of those two trades. And before we get out of here today, I do have two uh, picks for tonight's games. And look, we're going to go kind of against the Houston Rockets here. It's something a lot of people don't like to do. But when everyone else zigs in sports betting, we zag. We're going to go the Phoenix Suns plus a half of a point in the first quarter at minus 110. Why am I taking this? Actually, let me give you both bets because they're both kind of, I mean, May, not necessarily correlated, but they're for the same reason. My second bet, and I'm putting a half unit on both these uh, bets, uh, uh, under 60 in the first quarter for that same game, Houston at Phoenix. Now, first of all, I say I'm doing a half unit on each bet. Um, guys, if your units aren't substantial enough to where winning one unit in a game means enough, you have to increase your unit size. We all say it's 5% of your bankroll, which is important if you're looking to invest long-term in sports betting. But that's not how everyone approaches this. And if your if your units are like twenty bucks, here's what I hear. I mean, I hear this way too often. Unfortunately, you know, hey, I'm, uh, seven units on this, five units on this, three units on this, six units on this. It's like guys, either you don't understand how professionals bet, or you don't care about wasting other people's money because these are bad things to be putting out there. At least no professional that I've ever respected and worked with has, you know, had a seven unit bet of the night. Now they may do things in like three, four, five star bets. You know, it's a, it's an eight star bet, a 10 star bet, things like that. But for people who have, you know, $20 units and their max is like 10 units and it's just, it's, it, that's how amateurs work. And so the, any, any good, true professional who I've ever worked with, who's ever had any amount of respectability, in my opinion, has never done these you know, eight-unit plays. So get a good healthy unit out there, a good system where you're betting a unit per game, maybe two if it's a massive game and you're Kelly Criterion. But, you know, 
For these games tonight, I'm betting two and a half unit. That's more than enough. And if I win both, then you've got a full unit coming at you. So uh, Phoenix plus a half in the first corner, minus 110. Under 60 in that same game, Houston at Phoenix. Houston played last night at the LA Lakers, and I think they left a lot on the floor in LA. They emptied the tank. It was, I think, tied or around tied at halftime. Houston pulled away. That was a huge, huge statement game for the Houston Rockets. And I don't believe... Uh, that they're going to have enough, at least in the first quarter, for this game. Now, look, Houston's a great team. I don't like fading Houston to lose games like this on the road against Phoenix, who is pretty bad this year. But I believe Phoenix is good enough, especially early in games. They can shoot, especially, again, early in games. They're going to have a lot of motivation playing the Houston Rockets. And we will get a slightly flat, slightly tired Houston team, at least early on. So for that reason, I do like the under 60 points. Houston's a team who typically is higher scoring in the first quarter. I think that goes away, especially on the road. So that's why I like the under 60. And with Phoenix, plus a half, minus 110. If it's tied or Phoenix is is a leading at the end of the first quarter, then we win that bet. And again, I just think Houston has a slow start after last night's massive game at the LA Lakers. All right, that does it for today's show. Good luck, everyone. We'll talk to you tomorrow on The Sharp Angle. This is The Sharp Angle. Every day on your favorite podcast player.